Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. Have you been researching and learning about regenerative living, permaculture, and natural building for a while, but are still a bit unsure of where to start? Are you new to these topics and feeling overwhelmed about the sheer scope of information and knowledge that's out there to be absorbed? Are you a seasoned professional in the field looking to expand your experience and expertise with other professionals who are pushing the boundaries of regenerative projects? Well, you're in luck. Here at Abundant Edge, we have just what you need to take the next essential steps towards putting the information from these podcasts, interviews, books, and articles into action. We offer courses for beginners, intermediates, and even seasoned professionals to learn from successful regenerative business owners, farmers, builders, and other artisans who are keen to share their knowledge. Our teachers and facilitators have been working and experimenting tirelessly to provide the most up-to-date information available to help you put your skills and efforts to use in regenerating the planet and transforming the global economy into one that abandons the outdated model of consumption and destruction into one of health, stewardship, cooperation, and abundance. Come and get your hands dirty. You can get a full list of courses and trainings as well as volunteer opportunities now at AbundantEdge.com. We're looking forward to seeing you here. My guest today is one of the most inspiring and enthusiastic educators working in permaculture and regenerative education anywhere in the world. Now, I had the pleasure of interviewing Matt Powers, author of The Permaculture Student and The Permaculture Student 2, in the last season on this podcast, and got to catch up with him again to talk in depth about some of the most urgent transitions facing humanity and how we all need to prepare ourselves to contribute positively to a regenerative shift in the way our societies and economies operate. In this interview, Matt breaks down how advances in technology and AI will affect us all and drastically disrupt our economy in the near future. But rather than paint a bleak picture of the days to come, we discuss how anyone motivated to do so can see this shift as an incredible opportunity to retool and reskill to advance themselves and their communities in a new regenerative economy. We also talk about the types of jobs and contributions that will be most in demand in this changing global system, and Matt even dispels the myth of the self-sufficient homestead being a way to insulate or disconnect ourselves during this transition. Matt is a fantastic educator and storyteller who illustrates his points with thoughtful observations from his own experiences, and much of the beginning of this episode is spent talking about some of the big transitions that he and his family have gone through directly. So rather than give it all away, I'll turn things over now to Matt. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us again today. It's been a while since we chatted. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. You always are doing amazing. I'm so glad to hear that, though. You've made a big move since we talked last, uh, and I've finally got you on Skype with a better microphone, so we've got better audio quality. I'm super excited. Yeah, I I mean, last we chatted, was I in the Midwest or was I on the West Coast? Well, I think you were just moving to the West Coast, but you were on the road when I caught you to go and do uh, a speaking seminar at a university, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In Missouri. That's what it was. Yeah. So we basically, I left Baker Creek and I moved back west uh, to the West Coast. And we were down in San Diego. I was working with Makeda Makosa at... um, the World Beat Center in San Diego and Balboa Park, kind of expanding her food forest and helping with her children's um, education program there. She partners with the Cornell Ornithology Lab and other, and other organizations to bring 
natural eco- ecological permacultural education to um, the youth of San Diego. But then she also hosts this cultural center, which is so social permaculture. It honors all the different cultural legacies through art, dance, and music of the peoples of San Diego. So amazing, amazing stuff. And that's I was immersed in that in the summer and helping my mom um, pack up um, and put away um, all the different elements from her parents' home. Um, uh, her mother, um, my nana, um, passed away. And so we were there helping, helping put away the home and, and kind of, uh, put, uh, put things away. And, uh, and then after that was finished, they were going to sell the house. And so we had to find a place to go. And so we moved up, up the West coast. Um, and we went back to, to like a climate. Well, we, we went to climate analog that was like going back home for me. So I grew up, and the funny thing was, I didn't get to like practice permaculture in the cold temperate. Um, even though, I mean, it, see, that's what I was thinking. I'm wondering how it was to go back to something that was familiar to you, but with this whole other perspective of having practiced permaculture and learned to understand ecosystems and ecology, uh, that must have really changed the way you interacted with something that still seemed familiar. Yeah, I basically had to go through this process of, and the way I think about it is just recalibrating my clocks. And so it's not necessarily Mm. a perfect analogy, but when I was a bass player and there'd be times where I wouldn't get enough practice in or times where I would stop playing because I just had to work full time or something like that, my fingers would lose their memory in a way and they would lose that, that perfect locked in pocket kind of um, clock, you know, that they each finger needs. And so I'd have to retrain my hands and just marry the metronome really. And what that equivalent, you know, that, that the equivalent of that, when you change climates is you really need to recalibrate your settings to, to that new climate, to that new soil, to the season change, to the times when you need to harvest seed and plant, you know, all those different, those different things need to find their reset. And that just involves so much observation and time. The first year I've been here, I mean, I did put in a garden. I did put in um, a guiding contour swale. And then I put a key line geometry bed off of that using equidistance so that it's technically not on contour. It naturally wicks off quite nicely that way too, because we're in a wet climate. So um, mm. yeah, it's kind of, the thing is when people talk about key line, key points, those are actual physical things that are part of key line geometry. And most people don't understand that there's like, it's a bun, like that word key line is a huge bundle of things that will shortly be coming out in a, in uh, and I mean, there, there's a lot of it from coming from PA Yeoman and Alan Yeomans out there, but Darren Doherty is coming out with a Regarian's handbook that is going to elucidate a lot of this. And so it's like just how we use permaculture as an adjective for a lot of things. Key line is being used as an adjective for a lot of things. Um, and so I right. just I just put in this this system. It's and a lot of people think you need you need uh, to have uh, the watershed or a lot of land to do key line. I did this on, you know, a little section of one point five acres. So, right. so it's got spillways on and everything. So I did all that, but most of this is just me observing the landscape and trying to understand what we can fit into this small little site that would honor the fact that we have 40 acres of national forest connected to us that would honor the fact that they just put in the, like, like, I mean, the past 20 years is just put in really, I mean, you want to think about time-wise. Um, these this housing these houses in this in the middle of this mountain's ridge, and so so yeah, trying to figure out what fits takes time and observation. And so while I've done things, um, I've sat for a year basically observing a pond that um, when I first came was draining every year seasonally, and I put ducks in it and sealed it. And now I'm I'm, I'm looking at it. I, I'm watching the turbidity go down, but. I want more things to happen. I want more things to develop. Um, I'm going to be doing a micro-remediation series of silt traps on the way down to it just to clean up the water because it's road, uh, road runoff water. So I've been, it's, it's been incremental in, in ways, but 
it's timing with my observation because we our success is really determined by our level of observation i mean our level of understanding which comes from our levels of observation and the amount of time we put in so so i'm really like you know practicing what i preach you know about observing but taking those action steps when they make sense where it's clear um and then you know exemplifying that with my students um and being really transparent about it um so it's been really fun um going to a climate that reminds me of my childhood and all the wonder and imagination that i had running through the cold temperate being outside where you know it's like really cold and yeah yeah i mean i dream of of ski racing again i haven't i was a ski racer starting at age six i started skiing when i was two years old and so the contours the path of water the path of least resistance you know the like when they talk about like oh which way's down it's like huh yeah i know exactly what that's like because that's fast to me which way is fast <laughs> Well, I love hearing about this process of learning that you're talking about and how you put that transparency in with the connection with your students, because it's something that we do a lot here as well. In fact, we're just wrapping up a PDC that we've taught with uh, Atitlan Organics and bringing the students here onto what's basically a learning site. It's a laboratory for us here and having them walk through our process of like how we made the decisions that we did and how this is continuing to evolve. It's, you know, with always dealing with living systems nothing is complete. It's always in fluctuation. But so along these lines, I want to talk and shift a little bit to something that you had covered recently within the Sustainable Design Masterclass with our good friends, uh, Raleigh Latham and Neil Spackman. And you covered this concept of breaking into a regenerative economy and how you can use these same ideas and principles of permaculture design and work it into other career paths. And I'm hoping that you could start to talk to us a little bit about some of the things that you found in what's available as far as uh, meaningful work, well-compensated work that contributes in a meaningful way to new solutions and alternative options within what most of us consider to be a pretty destructive economic system that most of us currently live in. Absolutely. So, yeah, Whew. there's so much to this conversation. This, this is one of the things that I think about constantly because from my perspective, I'm a high school English teacher at my core. And so that's what my, my, my mom's mom my my last grandparent did and aspired to be a writer and so this is like a like a legacy thing my mom was a an educator um she wrote actually wrote the first curriculum for special ed um in the state of new york for middle school and so this idea of creating precedent you know i'm all about and so we need to do this all individually though with our own lives communities bioregions local economies and global economies because uh I mean, in the in our community, we really like to focus on the natural, focus on nature, and all this stuff, um, and and kind of stay out of other pools per se sometimes. And so, certain things are happening in the world that maybe people in the regenerative and permaculture landscape are not aware of. AI is going to take ten to fifty percent of like U.S. jobs, and those are the jobs that like we necessarily don't want. <laughs> and they're part of a degenerative economy so they're right not so it's not even necessarily a bad thing but it is going to cause a big shift in how oh yeah work is thought of and how much uh time we individually spend on it yeah and there's going to be a disruption and it's not going to be terminator it's not general ai is 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 so far in the future they don't know if it's even possible so all the wonderful science fiction nightmares that have been concocted and fed. Um, we can set aside and 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 instead feast on this um, completely realistic disruption that is coming, um, where you're going to have a lot of people who are searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for connection, and 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 not only that, at a same time period as all this is ramping up, um, our environment is going to be um, ramping down. Um, the t the same exact overlap of AI taking off and the bold new world 
the the overlap is exact with our environment collapsing. And so while, you know, people are like, I mean, we really need to step into this, acknowledging all these different elements and aspects and then carving the the path that is the regenerative path through this. Um, and we got to do it with eyes open and we got to do it transparently and we've got to do it in a way that gathers all these threads and stories together regeneratively, honoring what is actually being served by by that story to those people. So what is AI actually feeding to people? They're like, well, you're going to not have those boring jobs anymore. Well, the cancer misdiagnosis, that won't happen anymore. That Like all these things that are like, oh yeah, it'll fix that. Oh yeah, benefit, benefit. Um, those kinds of things are, yes, we want them. But the reality is what's going to happen is so disruptive that we people are painting like this huge depression, anxiety, like economic, huge fluctuation, loss of the middle class, huge bifurcation of classes. And the reality is, though, in the regenerative economy, which ties all these threads together, provides solutions for problems and allows for edges to beneficially connect, is the, the path that's going to allow for us to have jobs for everyone. We're going to have roles for everyone going to have an economy that doesn't look just through a fiscal lens that looks through all the different forms of capital that is constantly growing more just like nature does right i mean what happens when you enrich the soil is you open up more niches you open up more biodiversity opportunities and then it cycles more and and then it gets a greater diversity of nutrients and minerals bioavailable and then you get a greater response from the life expressions and the larger life forms. And, and I mean, that's just how it works. So if we can, if we can inoculate all these disruptions that are, are here and are coming with permaculture solutions, even as we like hit peak oil, even as we hit, I mean, we've hit recently and most people don't realize this. It's still nuisance some people, for some people. We've hit peak recycled plastic. There's no more recycling plastic mm. in America. Um, we're at a point where China and other Asian countries that once took our plastic and recycled it for us, um, and they bought it, bid it on the on a market in the recycling market, no longer are accepting it, no longer are interested in continuing this relationship. Some people are saying it has to do with Trump. I don't, I, I don't know for sure, but what I do know is it's it's it looks like it's never going to come back. And the oceans themselves have kind of shown us that we are at limits. Land, ocean, we're at the limit. Now is the time where we really need to rethink things. So what what mm. we see is... So here, so paint a picture for me here. I, I'm on board with this transition. Can you sort of illustrate the concept of what a regenerative economy might look like and how we can prepare ourselves to participate in it in a productive way? Right. So the first thing we need to probably do is get rid of the homesteading myth that we can just get a piece of land and then we can just isolate ourselves from the world and then we can just homestead. We need to create real value in our world and we need to think big. We need to think how we can serve the world at our highest level and then things will start moving. And that takes, you know, observation, reflection, and creativity. We need to start thinking about things creatively, like the Pacific Garbage Patch, right? Well, the reality is, is that we have people working on this who are actively going to start the solution. And what they're going to do is they're going to be gathering all that plastic up and processing it and then making it into those, those beads. And then as post-consumer plastic, going to be reforming it into new products. So suddenly there's this business opportunity to empower people by having the products they're using right now take on significant meaning in their lives. And it's like, wait, but these pair of scissors, they don't mean anything to me other than they're serviceable scissors. But if they were part, suddenly part of the recycle, like the local recycle community and the original plastic came from the ocean then I know that this is never going to leave our communities because uh, uh, we can create community-level um, plastic recycling. That's that's totally possible. 
But this came from the ocean. So it's part of my values. It's part of my beliefs. And when my children use it, they know that they have taken part of the, 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 the plastic out of the ocean. And so while we have this like plastic, you know, based culture, you know, we're inoculating that problem with value based solutions. And that's, you know what I mean? That's, that's one side of it. And that may be like a super technical thing. But on the other side of it, it's like, how are we going to get all those, um, all, all, all the schools, how are we going to get, um, all the food they need, all the, the clean water, all these different things that they need if it's not through these channels in the future. If we aren't growing food biologically, if we aren't, I mean, we are reaching the peak limits of all these things. So it's, it's the, the regenerative pathways are marketable and compatible, uh, c- competitive because they, they do things at a higher level biologically to our, for, for, for the soil, for the atmosphere, for our bodies. So it's this like win, 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 win on all these different levels. And so we're starting, I mean, I started with meaning, right? And uh, tying to that big solution. But you can also make this the Curtis Stone solution with your backyards, turning your all your neighborhood's backyards into gardens where two people manage them all. And then everyone gets a portion enough for their family. And then the excess goes to CSA that supports the couple that goes and manages all the landscapes. These kind of simple solutions, they're, they're how we're going to draw our communities together. They're how we're going to get through these hard times that are inevitable. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. And there's an easy connection there. It's very easy to make that transition between, you know, growing your own food within a suburban or an urban setting and doing good for your local community and your ecology. Can you help us to make the connection for say someone out there who has a career path or a skill set that they're struggling to see the easy segue into using that skill set towards something considered to be regenerative and maybe explain how either you can retool or use the skills you already have to contribute in perhaps a, a less direct way such as, you know, planting a veggie garden, but still contribute meaningfully to this transition that we need to make? The reality is every job has a regenerative twin in the regenerative economy. The Because, because as we diagnose that role and you're like, oh, well, we need garbage taken care of. We need to handle our waste at the core level. Um, and we need experts that can handle all, all of our waste because it's at that large level. So what is wrong, what's degenerative about the tasks they perform? And when you break it down into behaviors, well, those are substitutable. And then when you break it all the way down to principles, needs, the actual, like, dealing with our waste positively, right? They're dealing with our waste so that we don't have to have a problem happen but they can deal with our waste in a positive, regenerative way. And how that breaks down is really where the creativity comes in. Um, so let's say, for instance, um, you've got a like just a neighborhood level. And I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going micro to macro because that's how I keep thinking about all this and, 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 and trying to show that we really need both. And I know most of the people listening uh, here and most of the people listening on, on my shows and in my classes are not thinking like uh, like giant scale, but we really need to so that we can cast those visions large enough that everyone can go, oh, I can see how I can contribute to that with my part of that. You know what I mean? So... So I really want to want to want to cast it in both both ways. So you have you're gathering up all the compost from from your your neighborhood. You're really good at composting. You're maybe you're doing the hot composting, thermophilic. Maybe using EM, and then you're fermenting things and doing lower heat compost. Um, but but you're 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 handling all the waste for for the neighborhood, and then it's feeding back into the gardens, and that allows you to get a certain portion of those of the proceeds from those gardens 
or allows you to have a garden plot here, or maybe they just pay you. And then you get paid a straight up fee and then they get compost and it's all always transparently done. People can come check it out. And But you're providing a real service that sequesters all that carbon from there, uh, from, well, not all of it, but you can't ever get all of it. But um sequesters prime most of the carbon from that garbage that would be lost as as methane and, and other um and other f- uh, forms whether it's leaching into the water or stuff like that but you're stopping that and providing that service and you're keeping it within the community now let's break out to like uh like a new york level so you've got all this waste now if we could actually process this stuff and keep things separated suddenly we could be having the organic matter that can be turned into soil, be turned back into soil, thermophilic. So you've got that, that um, and it's not sterilization. It's a thermo, thermophilic uh, decomposition, which is aerobic and gets you to this, this sweet spot where there's, there's no anaerobes, uh, you know, pathogens. Um, it's, it's really great. Um, and that's 130 degrees for three days is actually the composting U.S. standard. So that's the idea behind that. So you're, you're breaking those down. You're making great soil for that. And then you're redistributing that to the parks or in selling it to gardens or whatnot. And then you have the stuff that is the, the human waste and the, 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 the sewage and all that kind of stuff. And let's make sure that we don't put our medicine down the drain. Let's make sure that, you know, things that don't belong down the drain that don't um, break down. And maybe we even introduce the, the toilets that separate the urine from, from the humanure even better. And then the urine can be used as a, as a fertilizer or antifungal on plants that are getting the powdery mildew or what have you. Um, but, but then you get the methane and then you can burn the methane in a closed circuit and have that carbon that's released in the carbon dioxide go right into a closed loop um, growing of like algae or something like, like spirulina or something like that. That's a plant that's going to eat that and then release oxygen and then embody that carbon again. And then you can take that algae, you can feed it to things, you can um, run different processes, you can make fuel out of it, and or you can just feed it right back into the system and decompose it and make more. So there's there's enormous potential. And, and like I said, I mean... AI is coming so fast. I mean, it just all that is is task-based algorithms. It's not general AI. All these things can happen now, though. We can handle huge amounts of new data, new systems management that were just mind-boggling. I mean, there's a reason why in New York, you go below New York City and they don't know where the water comes and goes from. They know it enters the city here and they know it goes out here and here. But they have no idea because it's all been an add-on to an add-on to an add-on. And you look at the New York City streets, people don't realize it's, in most places, 10 stories deeper before they'll even hit native soil. So the, the needs are massive. The tools that we have are, are kind of mind-boggling. We have such powerful tools. We have all the things that we need right now to make massive change on the earth, to rewild the earth, to restore the earth. And the Lus Plateau is a great example. The $14 per hectare you know, um, to, to convert 500,000, half a million square kilometers of China from, you know, degraded land into uh, perennial and uh, tree-based um, uh, vegetation. So, so I, I really think that as the information gets out and, and, we're we're really close to this almost all the information getting out there. I mean, the carbon credit schemes that have held so much promise in the quantification world really fall apart when you look ecologically at what's going on with the desertification of our world, with climate change, um, climate weirding, or what have you. So, what what I see is the end of the degenerative economy because it's on dead end right it's going i mean it's on a dead end road and all the jobs that we have been doing this entire time that have may provided meaning and provided respect in our society they're they're not serving that that those purposes anymore i mean we people 
I think it's eighty percent of 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 people don't find meaning in their job. They 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 don't feel connected, and that when you add in the amount of pressure that's about to hit with the the economic um, downturn that's going to happen. Um, well, it's <laughs> it's a more job market downturn than it is economic because those businesses are going to be able to say on paper that they're making so much more because they're going to be able to fire so many people. Um, so it's really important that we start inoculating our communities with resilience so that um, we're insulated against changes to our economies. Because... I mean, when you think about it, our food, fuel, fiber, and medicine should all be bioregional just for safety purposes in case there's a hiccup in service. And then on top of it, you're only you're going to get the best food bioregionally. Yeah, I think that's one of the inspiring things is that doesn't have to be a limiting factor. And uh, one thing that really, yeah, quite on the contrary, it can mean a higher quality. It can mean uh, much better quality, flavor, and innovation within recipes and reconnecting with the heritage of the food from your area as well. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of this that um, that I probably didn't emphasize enough. This this is, I mean, permaculture really is a... Um, People see it as, as a lot of people just see it as homesteading, and that's why I brought up the homesteading myth early on. They see it as this way that they get to yeah, stop, like that. stop working. They're like, oh, this is the way I get to escape. And it's like, no, this is the way you get to plug in to the community finally and to, mm. to the natural world finally. That's definitely what I found since we started doing our own demonstration site here in Guatemala as well. Yeah, and it's really a heart-based learning and then it becomes a heart-based language that you speak rather than this quantification-based thing that um, that the carbon credit thing thing is. So it, this, is, this is why it's very difficult with our current economy to see this path, to be like, wait, but we're speaking from the heart here. This is healing communities. This is... And so it feels so foreign when we look at... Um, like an Elon Musk, or when we look at Ford, or when we look at, you know, when we look at these examples of what economy means, they, the, you know, and, and, and I mean, <laughs> people compare them to predators, but they don't behave as predators behave. They dominate. They inoculate. It's more, um, more as a like a vocal pathogenic fungi, which is always indicative of imbalance. And so, mm. I and 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 the and what we really need, what real stabilize stability is, is diversity, localization, and individual uh, expression. And so, it's like that bridge with all the teeny little triangles that we made in seventh grade in like wood shop, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, that's the winner of the, the weight test because um, you had the, the diversity, the pattern of diversity built in. And that's really what we're, we're bringing back. And because it has all these things that we didn't give an economic value to built into them, it feels like we're doing extra work or uh, work that is for free or it hits mm. all these weird buttons in us. But the reality is it's like, that's the actual work you taking the time, you know, um, the unquantifiable work, you know, spending time with our grandparents, having our, 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 our children have that, that amazing blessing of spending time with their great grandparents, you know, those kinds of things you can't put a price tag on, you can't quantify, but you know they're so valuable to culture. Absolutely. Well, so here on these lines, let's go back to something you said earlier and how at your core, you are an educator. You have been working in the teaching fields for a while and it's been a big focus on the content that you've put out and the books that you've written. So let's get down to the most effective dose, sort of, so to speak, of the retooling, the reskilling, and the information that's going to be relevant to people in this shift of economic uh, status and how we can prepare ourselves as far as training and knowledge to operate in a healthy way within this shift of systems. Well, 
this this really reflects kind of where I am and where I'm heading um, when I say this. Um, but we need to work on ourselves most of all. Um, our ability to be flexible mentally and our ability to give and receive compassion. And those those kinds of things will allow us to learn and be flexible and do all the things that need to be done. Um, but I think those are the skills that be, they may seem unrelated to what we're facing, um, but they're actually the skills that we really don't teach in school. They're the skills that we don't value in our economy and in even in our interactions in business and jobs. Um, our ideas of success a lot of the time. Um, so, I mean, having, having an understanding of who we are and having the kind of self-control, emotional self-control to serve at a time of great stress and need. Because the reality is this. We could make all like we we could make a, like a series of keywords and like you could set up all the information so that you just follow these keywords and then it's just information, right? So almost anyone can access and find the answers to any regenerative or permaculture question. It's just information. Like they could create an AI app to be a really helpful guy and like really enthusiastic <laughs> to replace me. And so. It's really more than just information that we have to have to really grasp. It's an emotional, it's even a crisis of imagination in a way. We need to inoculate our culture. I mean, like, <laughs> um, and yeah, and, and it really starts with ourselves. So what does that actually mean? Well, I start my day um, reprogramming my mind and um, setting my intentions and actively working on goals that are going to bring about this 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 reality. Tell me what that looks like for you, because everyone has their different practices now, different uh, sort of mantras and way of thinking and things uh, that they try to achieve in in a limited amount of time. We're all that's one thing that's most democratic about our experiences. We've presumably all got a similar amount of time, certainly in one day. So tell me a little bit about your routines and kind of the goals that you're pursuing through these shifts of consciousness and practice that, that you yourself are experimenting with. Yeah. So, so basically we have, um, I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm an educator, so I'm always thinking about this in terms of spectrums. Um, I taught in a very politically charged area. And so I learned to be really sensitive and say things like, well, you know, there's a whole spectrum of belief around this concept ranging from people believing this to people believing that. And in the middle, people believe in a combination of those things and, and such as this and this. And so I learned to give this spectrum, um, and so, and then create menus. So I'm actively creating um, a, a, like a menu around all these kinds of concepts that I'm going to be sharing and doing kind of stuff. So I wake up my, I wake up um, between four o'clock to six o'clock every day. Um, and I, depending on what time I get to bed. <laughs> no, I'm the same way. Yeah, I try to get seven hours, but, um, but, and I try to honor that, but, uh, but I always get up at six. Um, and so I start my day off, you know, setting my intention. Um, I have gratitudes, I have affirmations, um, I have some visualizations and then I, 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 all right. So I do a bunch of different things. If I'm not feeling primed at that moment, I do things until I'm mentally primed. Um, and I try to do them quickly so that I can get on to my meditation um, though I change things up. So sometimes like last week, I'll like do, um, uh, like a cardio warm up um, sort of dance kind of thing. <laughs> and then I will go straight into the Wim Hof breathing method. Ooh, that's a good one. I love that one. 
Yeah, to anyone looking, it probably looks like I'm now hyperventilating. Um, but uh, and then yeah, from the outside perspective, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, and so and then and then from there, I go into uh, meditation, and so I'm rapidly bringing down, just like Tom Bilyeu does, bringing down um, my level of my stress levels, my uh, my my heart rate, my breathing, and then calming. And then if I flip it around, sometimes I'll start with a meditation and then I'll do halfway, like nearing the end of it, because I've mapped out the 20 minute um, audio, um, I'll start doing the Wim Hof. And so I'll finish uh, that 20 minute meditation, like in my Wim Hof zone and then go into um, doing uh, yoga in that kind of space. And then I've got a high, I've got my high performance planner, my Brendan Burchard planner, which is absolutely ridiculous. It went like, I think in a day was a number one bestseller on Amazon. There's a reason for that. Um, it's just absolutely ridiculously so on point. Um, and so I use that. And then, um, I do my vocal warm up. I have a Roger Love vocal warm up. Um, that I do. He, uh, when he was 14, was uh, the vocal coach for uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire and the Beach Boys during the time of good vibrations. So he's absolutely amazing. Um, and so that, that's that's part of my performance stuff. Um, that's part of my, my vocal musical kind of stuff. Um, but it primes me in a really fundamental way. It says to my body, you're about to go on stage, get ready. And so it just mentally puts me in like a, 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 and before that, I was a ski racer. And so, like, watching like Bodie Miller yesterday with my sons, I got a physical reaction. My heart rate, like, seeing him in the gate, like, and the dude, 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 like, I just, whoo, even now, like, my, like my heart. <laughs> and so, like, I do things to, like, absolutely prime myself. I have a specific set of music that I listen to. That like I have a specific song that if I'm like if I'm hedging and not doing my workout immediately I put on this song and then I'm going to, going to go do it now, um, and so really kind of uh, you know uh, switching my mindset to one where it's I'm in a fully resilient phase by the time I start my day and so I start my day setting my mindset releasing tension mentally, physically, and then setting my intention for my day on how I want to feel. And then I set my intention with my planner, what I want to do, what I want to see in the world happen. So it's like, you go feelings, who you are, you patch yourself together, you know what I mean? And then, and then you're actually doing your to-do list kind of stuff, your goals. And then I routinely throughout my day, I take breaks every hour. So I'm doing like Qigong, I'm doing tapping, I'm doing breathing stuff, meditation, like one to two minutes, um, just to reset my, here's an alarm. That's one of my alarms. Um, and, 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 and then at, at night, you know, I'm doing gratitude journals. Um, I'm doing a reflection, uh, a set reflection I do at, at the end of the night. Um, and the crazy thing is, I really do believe these practices are the way that we're going to get permaculture um, adopted, the way that we're going to help people um, make these actions in their lives. And because, I mean, think about how many people out there have taken a PDC and then done nothing. Or done a PDC and then just made a garden and thought that was it. And... And like, that's the problem is we need permaculture to go beyond the garden, beyond the homestead, beyond the, the, I'm the, the lone, you know, person in the woods. Um, it needs to go into the cities. We need to, um, be using all the natural modalities that permaculture highlights to inoculate all of our systems so that they can actually become regenerative so that you start a garbage company that people sign up for because it has real values. Because they're like, oh, no, this garbage company represents me. And plus, did you watch their commercial? None of those other guys are actually recycling. And they didn't even tell me. Yeah. What are they doing with that plastic? Mm. I don't trust them any longer. I really love this insight into your process and sort of illustrating 
why it is that you are trying to cultivate this change in mindset. Because like you just mentioned, you could get the class and go out and do a garden and see that as sort of the apex and not do much more with it. But this concept of using the principles of permaculture and the mindset that it cultivates as a guide for a lifestyle, not simply a a list of techniques to implement, you know, soil building or food growing, but rather a perspective that informs your decisions and acts as a compass for, you know, the steps that you take in your life, the way you interact with your community, the way you educate yourself and interact with everything around you. This is also like, there's so many parallels between your morning routines and things that I do on a daily basis as well. Clearly, we're on a very similar wavelength. And it's, it's really cool to see. Now, let's go one generation back. And I know that you're very actively involved with this within your own family. But what do you help to encourage within their development that helps to cultivate this mindset that you're also working on developing for yourself? Mm. Yeah, so I'm teaching my boys to meditate, yoga, but it's it's a lot more than just the, like the act of doing it. It's really the objective. So we could sit here and just breathe and, you know, and just do the exercise, you know, hold, try to hold real still is the objective, you know, but what, what we're really trying to do is learn to be objective about our thoughts so that we can be that, that patient observer that looks at the landscape and lets the landscape speak to them. It's the same thing with the situation with our minds and our emotions and even our plans. If we can let our mind yabber on for a little bit and run through those ideas and not just take the first one that raises its hand, you tend to see that your ideas are a collection of of echoes and reactions for the most part to things that have already happened to you and sometimes happened to you long, long ago. And you're like, wow, that's like my dad used to say or like that came from like my mom or a teacher or or a or a fear or you know and so it's it really is a way of applying the permaculture principles to your life and so it may be different for me um than some people because i rewrote um this the 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 ethics in some ways um, so I, I, I changed it to future care, not, not knowing that other people, um, were doing this too at the same exact time. Starhawk changed it to people care before me, um, uh, in Africa, she heard in Africa at a, at a, a convergence, they were doing that and she liked the sound of it. For me, it suddenly solved everything. All the debates over all the little minutia, um, got fixed. And then I was like, well, fair share is part of people care, isn't it? You know what I mean? Um, and then care of future and, and earth care has its own return or surplus implicit in it too. Um, and then, so care of future really is the management, the planning and the investment into the care of the earth and people. And so once I like had that kind of that leap, I really realized that we had not been looking at these things clearly enough. And that we really needed to look at social permaculture uh, more carefully. And that's why I created the social permaculture um, principles, because they didn't exist. And I was inspired by Darren Doherty's handbook. I mean, he had these like sayings, um, what, like wisdoms, like from all these different people. And he just kind of put them in front as just things that he just wanted to get published so that they would be down, you know, on paper. And and they, of course, connected to his work because they're, that's who part of who he is, part of his meaning. But for me, I was like, I just saw all the elements of, of an actual, like I saw what was lying underneath each of the person's different semantics and verbiage. And so I was like, well, there's more here. And so I just started running through it and started iterating it out. And then I just started seeing all these other other aspects um, as I myself have had to conquer these things. Um, my wife, um, 
depending on how you count, has faced cancer like five to six times now. And it used to be three for many, many years. So it's been super hard. So so for, for me, I, I just... I just know so many of us are dealing with with things like loved ones having to face cancer and and the resiliency that we need to face these sort of things is exactly the resiliency that we all need right now because almost everyone has a loved one that's facing cancer. Almost everyone has an autoimmune issue right now. I mean, or a child or a loved one that does. I mean, it's it's real right now. Um, and the number one key to all this is to have a good attitude, which is the number one, like, hardest thing to do, to be enthusiastic when you've got cancer. Or, like, it, like it, it's, it's, it's opposite what you, what you naturally feel like reacting. And so... In my own life, I've, I've realized that this is exactly the situation that permaculture is in, where on one hand, we're going to give you the truth of what's going on in our world, and it's going to be bitter, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be heart-wrenching and, and so scary and all this stuff. Then we're going to give you the solutions, um, but then you got to live it. And it's like, it's that leap, then you got to live it, that is very difficult for people. Um, and it's the same exact thing with cancer. It's like, okay, you've got cancer. Now you got to fight it. And they're like, wait, I've got cancer? And they can't, and they've got to get over that first. And so, mm. and, and, and my students, the greatest problem I saw them having is them believing their limitations. So I had these students, you know, in the six most violent county in North America, right? Well, the reality is I was teaching them NYU stuff. So they're 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 performing and understanding concepts at such a high level, but they'll never be able to access those opportunities. And so like my whole thing was trying to prove to them how amazing they really were, and many of them just didn't believe me. And it's like that belief literally is the fuel of your individual superpower. And it's like Charles Eisenstein talked about this in my interview with them about how if you love something you'll either pick up naturally and do naturally the right thing or you'll do the research and the work to figure out what the right thing is. And it won't be like doing just enough care. Like if the government's telling you, you must do this or we're all will die or your child will die or something like that if you're a neglectful parent. The reality is it ha if it comes from a place of love, it's a lexicon of love it's not like binary love um it's exponential expressions and so when we inoculate these places with our best selves with love with community um, with real connection with family um we open up our greatest potential as human beings and so I really feel strong. And that's why I'm writing this book called Unstoppable Enthusiasm. I'm doing a Kickstarter for it in February um, because I feel like that's the catalyst um, that's missing, that's holding um, people back from so many permaculturists and individuals in general from living a life of love and expression of love. So they take the time and care to grow their own food because it is an expression of self-love when you get down to it. If you do not care for yourself, you're not going to go out and do a garden. Um, it, it, you know, so, so there's, there's so much to this. And so there certainly is. Yeah. So that's a very powerful and inspiring message, Matt. Before we run out of time here, I would really love for you to focus a little bit on some of the content that you've put out recently, your online educational platform that really offers the tangible information and the tools that people are going to need to positively interact with this shift and this switch to a regenerative economy. Can you break that down for us? Yeah, sorry if I go, I just go on tangent. No, no, not at all. Let's, we'll definitely do a follow-up again really soon and, and we'll explore these in, in more detail. But I want to give you a chance to, to explain this to people who undoubtedly are going to want to use this information in their own lives. 
Yeah, and so part of the reason why I'm so tangential is because the amount of information in my head is is um, encyclopedic at this point. Um, so I've done over 150 hours of video in the past year on advanced permaculture, and all based on peer reviewed a peer reviewed textbook that I wrote took uh, two years to write and then took six months to uh, create a new edition to. Um, I mean. Basically, I've been able to update where, where permaculture was with the PDC and with Bill Mollison's work in 1988. It's amazing. It's, it's groundbreaking. It's historical. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But nonetheless, there's no mycology in there. Like to, 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 to speak of comparatively to what we have nowadays. Our understanding of carbon sequestration is absent. Our understanding of renewable energy is absent and also through energy generation in non-conventional like renewable ways. So like the Trump, the Trump, you know, wasn't included. He mentions it later on. There's videos. Totally. Don't get me wrong. But it's not there in like the, the permatexture section or renewable energy section. And then there was no social permaculture principles. So anyway. There's just so much stuff. Um, Dr. Lane Ingham is updating her soil classes now. And it's it's been six years since she updated them. She was like, there's just so much information. I've just got to re-record everything and rewrite all my books. And this is only six years of time. And yes, I mean, I updated my book because it, uh, there was new research that came out within a year. So the pace that the things are changing really requires us to take a, a very different stance with the information. And so I just applied peer reviewers. New, I just looked up the, the citations for the information that Bill had. They were all out of date or out of print and impossible to buy for like, you know, $900 a book. Um, and so I just started talking to real professors, experts, professionals in the modern world, and I got completely new information. And then I stumbled onto ocean restoration. And so, um, I mean, 70% of the earth is ocean. If we're not doing riparian ocean restoration as permaculture, we have missed the boat entirely in permaculture if we haven't done this. So, so, yeah, definitely. so for me, this was like, like a, um, a historical moment for me. And I mean, a lot of people who check out my stuff, they're like, holy cow, this is it. This is it. And that's what Rosemary Morrow, um, uh, who's a peer of Bill Mollison, who's probably taught more people than Bill Mollison, actually. She's the one who um, got uh, permaculture included in the training of uh, government officials in Cambodia, in several other countries. She's been using uh, permaculture in humanitarian aid situations um, for decades, and now she's using my materials. And uh, currently, things are uh, being translated so they can be used um, for my Arabic uh, version to um, to the language that's most commonly used in Afghanistan. And then that's going to be translated into Farsi and Iran. So there's a bunch of things happening right now. Um, but basically, I stepped in and realized that there was no curriculum for kids. And I know there's some stuff for teachers, but that's not for kids. And so I'm a, I, I'm a public school teacher. And so... I went in there and created the, the textbook that showed the information that was written accessible for those age groups. I did middle school. I did high school slash college. People are saying my high school is a pr pretty advanced high school um, uh, slash college. But I also have people using it in middle schools um, with a teacher there adapting parts of it. Um, so that's what I created. But then people were like, man, we need lesson plans. And so I was like, oh, right. Yeah, okay. Okay. I always just made my own. And so when I went to set out to make them, I realized there was no education standards in permaculture, which for all professional educators, it's impossible to create a lesson plan because you need to align using your standards, your objectives, to your activities, to your assessments. And then you've got to align that to your learning object, your learning modalities of your students, how they learn, you know? So... For me as a as a professional educator, I was like, oh man, I've got to I've got to remake the wheel, and so that's why I did, you know, public comment and review page for the standards. We went through that process, and now, actually, 
as of today, I'm going to be printing out. Um, well, I'm going to be, uh, uh, send. I'm going to be sending the printers to print out the first copy, the test copy of the Advanced Permaculture Student Teacher's Guide with the first K through 12 standards ever created. There, they've been open for public review and comment. Um, educators uh, are using them in schools. Olympia High School in um, in Washington is using them. My materials are being used in dozens and dozens of schools all over America. So this is really happening. Um, I've got uh, online programs, K through 12 programs, adult programs. I've got advanced programs. My advanced permaculture certification program is, is again, unique. Um, I've set it up so that instead of a piece of paper for your PDC, you actually make a project. So it's a conversation piece and it represents you, your unique style of permaculture, your, your, your dreams, your visions. And, and so people, you know, they're, when, when people talk about getting certified, you know, people ask you, what, who do you learn from? But the reality is when it's an actual project, the proof is in the pudding. It speaks for itself. And so the student becomes the focus and the project becomes the focus rather than the teacher and, and which guru, you know, you, you learn from. Because it's really about the student. It's really about empowerment and it's really about connecting you to um, the skills, behaviors, and information that allows you to unlock your best self. And that's really why I've done things the way I've done because it, it's a holistic kind of thing. I mean, you've got to be coaching that person as a whole and you can't just be coaching their gardening skills. Yeah, of course. Man, I really agree with all of this. I'm extremely excited uh, about this addition to the resource, all the updates that you've made. Can you tell people how to find this resource and where they can contact you and sign up? Yeah. Um, if you go to the permaculturestudent.com, I've got my my textbook, The Permaculture Student 2, which is the advanced textbook. That's for free on there. Um, it's a human right to know this information, so I don't hold that back at all. Um, I've got all my courses on there, all my books on there. Um, there's a donation page on there. If you feel so inclined, you can download the ebooks um, through that. There's free videos. Um, I, I've just tried to make it really so that everyone at whatever level they're at can get involved my courses i have you know payment plans where it's like 50 50 uh, percent off and 50 dollars a month i i really want to empower people um so that they can inoculate their community with resiliency and economic empowerment too i mean don't get me wrong um i i, I love you know csas and gardening and growing food and selling food and all this um I want it all, uh, though. I want, I want, you know, your inner peace. I want your, your financial peace. I want your community peace and family peace. So that's really what we are all about. And um, I feel very fortunate to be um, kind of at, at the at the facilitative head. I don't want to say at the helm, but at the facilitative head of this really a unbelievable community where we have. In the advanced course, we have over 70 educators um, involved. Um, and so I'm just the lead educator. Um, we've got experts from all PhDs, from all walks of life. We've got doctors. We've got, you know, um, um, people who work medically, uh, people who work with just soil, people who work with just fungi, you know. We've got the specialists. And uh, it's people are saying that it's a life-changing course. And they thought they knew permaculture before. They knew science and nature before. They've taken Jeff Lawton's course. They've taken PDCs in their local area, bioregionally, whatnot. Um, people, some of them have taken multiple PDCs, um, but everyone is saying the same thing, that they've never taken a course like this before. Well, I have no doubt that it's every bit uh, as valuable as you say. I'm really looking forward to exploring some of this content as well. Unfortunately, I've got to run and give a farm tour here in just a second, but I've, I already know what we're going to cover the next time we talk. Unfortunately, this is our, actually our last interview for the second season of our podcast. I'm so honored to have had you on here again this season, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon. I hate to cut you short, but I know we're going to connect again real soon. So Matt, it's been such a pleasure talking to you let's uh let's catch up again soon sounds perfect thank you so much oliver hey it was my pleasure take care peace 
Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session.